Turn your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter 1. You want to see if you can plug that in or reach? That's going to die. Matthew chapter 1. I want to read verse 18 through 25. My subject is from verse 23. <clears throat> I'm speaking on the subject of God with us. Verse 18, it says, Now the birth of, of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit, or Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. For while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and called his name Jesus. Again there, verse 23, where it says, uh, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. And <clears throat> you have heard me say that names in the Bible are very meaningful. And so they are. We, we give names to different ones. We say, well, I like this one, or I like that one. And so we, we name our children that, or their named after parents or grandparents or so on and so forth. And I've known uh, one and uh, they had multiple uh, uh, people that were named, you know, after so-and-sos and, -so's and uh, they had the same first name, you know, and they said, well, we had enough of those, so we, we just decided we weren't going to name anybody that anymore. But... 
in the Bible, names are always meaningful. And none such as meaningful as our Lord's. Every name given to Him is full of teaching. I'd like you to turn over there in Isaiah 9 and verse 6. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. And I want to read here. This is Brother Crowder uh, read this to us, quoted it to us uh, in the in the previous um, hour. And we find that all of these names of our Lord, oh, how wonderful they are. How meaningful, full of awe and wonder they are. It says, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. All of those are His names. And so each and every one of them is full of teaching and meaning for the child of God. And such is the case. And if you just turn back a, a chapter or a couple chapters here, you'll find where that our text of Matthew is uh, referring to. And in Isaiah 7 and verse 14, how that it tells us here, it says, why uh, all that were, is being referred to here is that all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet. Verse 22 of our text, Matthew 1.22, it says, this is being spoken of by the prophet. Well, the prophets, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, it says, therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And so that's going to be the sign is that... Uh, uh, that this is going to be, and it's a miraculous event, isn't it? That a virgin, one who has not uh, procreated, one who's not had uh, sexual intercourse, is going to conceive a child. That's a miraculous thing, isn't it? So I want to observe here, some things about this name, Emmanuel. And the Bible tells us that it is uh, interpreted. You look here in verse 23, which being interpreted is God with us, or El Emanu. That's simply how it is. is the El means God, and the Emanu means with us. So it's just kind of reversed and rendered for us. But I'm so thankful that it's not just, you know, it doesn't say, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. In the Old Testament, you find there in Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14, 
It's simply left in the Hebrew, isn't it? Isaiah 7 and verse 14, and they shall call His name Emmanuel. Well, and that makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Because God is speaking here unto the Hebrews. He's speaking unto the Jews. He's speaking unto the people of old. And He's saying unto them that God is going to come and He's going to be with you. He's going to be with us. But if you turn and you come now and you're in the New Testament, and what do we find is going to happen in the New Testament? We find that God is going to do something in the New Testament and He's going to do it openly that He didn't do in the Old Testament. And that is He's going to save all manner of people, isn't He? You see, the the Bible was primarily to the people in the Old Testament, was primarily to the Jews, but in the New Testament, it's going to be to Jew and Gentile alike, isn't it? And we find in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 23, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. That right there is where Isaiah ends. But in the New Testament, we find that the Spirit of God adds this phrase, which being interpreted is God with us. You see, the Spirit of God is signifying that there is going to be a change. The change is is that Jesus Christ is going to be preached unto every creature. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God and salvation is going to be unto everyone in and through the person of Jesus Christ. Look in Romans 1 and verse 16. Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. Paul said this wonderful truth and we find it so and it is sprinkled if you would, throughout the Old Testament. We find that God, here and there, He would graft in a Gentile, wouldn't He? He would graft one in unto the Jews. And then we find in the prophecies, He would speak here and there about that, how that He would go unto the Gentiles. And this concerns you and I greatly. Because that during the church age, God would seek out a people for His name's sake among the Gentiles of whom we are. And in Romans 1.16 it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek, or also to the Gentile." And the gospel's already gone unto the Jews. And now it's going forth unto everyone. It's being proclaimed to every creature. We sang the chorus this morning. Jesus loves the little children. All the children of the world. Red and yellow, black and white. They're precious in His sight. And that is the gospel 
that it goes forth unto each and every person. And so we have it as this phrase which being interpreted God with us. And that is significant. That salvation is no is not being uh, held in check or cornered up, if you would, among the borders of Israel or Jerusalem. But as God told His church there, I want you to go unto all the world preaching the gospel of repentance unto every creature. And that the Bible has told us that all who come unto Him they sh through Jesus Christ they shall be saved. Now I'd also like you to observe concerning this God with us is this great condescension. The great condescension that has taken place. Look over if you would in Colossians chapter 1 that the Creator has taken upon Himself the lowest form that is the form of uh, He's come in the likeness of sinful flesh. Colossians chapter 1, and I'd like to begin at verse 15. You see, He didn't come, He didn't put on the form of a seraphim or a cherubim, did He? He didn't come and put on the form of an angelic being. That was disproven there in the book of Hebrews. He did not come in any other form, but He came in the likeness of sinful flesh. And here in Colossians chapter 1, I'd like to read beginning at verse 15. And notice here that it is God with us. God of very God. As we've, we have read so many times, heard preached so many times, that, it was a, that Christ is 100% God. His deity, His divinity was not lessened when He became incarnate in the flesh. Observe here, verse 15. Speaking of Christ, it says, who is the image of the invisible God. Isn't that something? He's the image of the invisible God. No wonder the Bible says, we're not to have any graven images. Christ is the image of God. He's the firstborn of every creature. For by Him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by Him and for Him, and He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. And He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn, from the dead, that in all things He might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in Him should all fullness dwell. That is to say that every aspect of God is in Christ. No, so much so that Christ was able to say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you've seen me, you have seen 
the Father. Or if you've known the Father, or known me, you've known the Father. And so here we have, and, and, and look over in the Gospel of John, chapter 1. The Gospel of John, chapter 1. Verse 14. Again, this condescension that it is that God is with us. To contemplate such that this being who spoke and the, the universe came into existence, that He spoke and all that there is came into being. And all that we read there in Colossians 1, it, the fullness of God, that the consistence of all things, that all of that was in this one person, and when he was born, when he was in the womb of Mary, when, when he was then born uh, of a virgin, and then when he grew up, and when he was a child, and then when he walked upon this earth, in that person dwelled the fullness of the Godhead bodily. You cannot contemplate that and understand it. You can contemplate it, but you'll never understand it. Listen, John 1.14, it says, And the Word, meaning, and when it refers to Jesus as the Word, it's speaking about His deity. It's speaking about Him as being divine, that is, His, His, His God nature. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so here is God. And He has condescended and He's walking amongst humans. The Bible tells us that if any man saw His face, what would happen to him? He'd die. But yet here is God incarnate in the flesh. A most amazing thing. I'd like also to observe in Matthew chapter 17, Matthew chapter 17, the miracle of power that is contained in God with us. God with us. I've read and looked at the description given of our Lord Jesus Christ in the book of Revelation. Time and again. I mean the, the sword that comes out of his mouth as he walks in the midst of his lampstand. But in Matthew 17 and verse 1 and 2, he goes up atop the Mount Transfiguration. And the Bible tells us 
It says, And after six days Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John his brother, and bringeth them up into an high mountain apart, and was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. Now, I know that he was had bones like mine and flesh like mine, and he was at all points tempted like as we are. But his, 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 everything about that body must have been in some way to contain him, the power of him. I mean, Moses went up on top of the mountain and he was up there with the Lord and when he came down from Mount Sinai, his face shone so much so that the people were afraid that they had to put a veil over his face. But the Bible says that when Christ was here on this earth, that we would look upon him and there would be nothing about him that would cause us to love him. Nothing that would be attractive or lovely or beautiful. Nothing outwardly. He was transfigured here. And notice what the Bible says. It says, And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt let us make here the three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. I mean, here he is. Christ is transfigured before him, and it's almost, he just, he's talking to him. Now, he falls at his feet as dead in the next few verses, while he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased, hear ye him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face and were sore afraid. But they weren't sore afraid when he was transfigured, were they? It wasn't until the voice spake. I mean, here, Peter's, oh, we ought to, it's good we're here. We ought to build, we ought to build some memorials. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. That must have been somebody that it would contain that the Word and the Word dwelt among us and tabernacled. The deity of God. Think about it in this way. <clears throat> Turn over to the 104th Psalm. <clears throat> Psalm 104. Verse 32. The Bible tells us <clears throat> that the Lord is one day going to come again. 
and his feet are going to touch the Mount of Olives. And when they do, it's going to cleave in two. Find that in Zechariah 14 and verse 4. That's, that's, it's going to happen. Why didn't, why didn't he, he been to the Mount of Olives before? The power that he has, he's capable of doing it. Look here in Psalm 104, verse 32. He looketh on the earth and it trembleth. He toucheth the hills and they smoke. He touched hills while he walked on the earth. Why didn't they smoke? The miraculous of him to create a body that could contain his deity, that his omnipresence could be contained in that. Isn't that something? That virtue just didn't go out from him all the time. They came to arrest him, and when they did so, they fell back. Why didn't they always just fall back? Every time. That, that, it just marvels. God with us. Turn over, if you would, 2 Corinthians 5. <clears throat> I don't think that so-called science will ever be able to answer those things. <clears throat> I don't think they'll reconstruct it. They'll not be able to explain it away. Now, what was God with us for? Well, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation or a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself, by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Now note verse 19. To wit, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. <clears throat> to what purpose or to what end or why was God with us? Well, he was here to reconcile the world unto himself. The word reconcile means to bring back into fellowship. That's what it means. That's just simply what it means. 
And this was the purpose of which God was in Christ. He came here. He was virgin born, or born of a virgin. He took upon Him the likeness of sinful flesh. He was made a little lower than the angels. He appeared and dwelt among us. He walked among us. He became our kinsman redeemer. It behooved him, the Bible tells us. He was perfected by the things that he suffered. He was tempted. He was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. And this was all done for the purpose of bringing us into fellowship with Himself. This was the work, the great work of reconciliation. That we had trespassed against God. We had sinned against God. That you that are without Christ had sinned against the Lord. And you know, God, He's the one who sinned against. You know what He does? He says, I'm going to go over here and I'm going to make things right. I'm going to bring them back into relationship with me and I'm going to do it by virtue and by the death of my only begotten Son. That's it. It tells us in these pass this passage of Scripture that the God's purpose was not to impute their trespasses unto them. He didn't have to come here to impute trespasses. Christ did not have to come incarnate in the flesh for your trespasses to be on your account. They're already there. Your sin debt is already on your account. It's on your ledger. But he came to reconcile you unto God. And he came here, and as it says in verse 21, he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That is the great transaction, isn't it? As was saying this morning, he ransomed me. He paid the sin debt. He paid the price of my redemption. He is our reconciliation. 
And He died on the tree of the cross that you might be in fellowship with Himself forever. That's why God was with us. And in order for God to be with us, He had to leave His Father's throne. In order for God to be with us, In order for God to be with us, in order for God to reconcile us, He had to endure great things by His own creation. The Creator endured great things by His creation. Even those that He would save. And I'll close with this thought and leave it to you and the Spirit of God. What if God had not been with us? What if we had not this name, Emmanuel, which is being interpreted God with us? Well, we would not have reconciliation. We would not have any of these things. We would not have a kinsman redeemer, would we? We would not have an intercessor who is the God-man. We wouldn't have a mediator. We wouldn't have one who was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. We wouldn't have one who is made perfect through suffering. We wouldn't have a great high priest who could be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Oh, the power of those words, God with us, or Emmanuel, which being interpreted, is God with us. Are you here this morning and without Christ as your Savior? Are you here? And you have not been reconciled unto God. Not brought into fellowship with Him. Well, you will not be brought into fellowship with God apart from Jesus Christ. You won't be reconciled to Him. If you're here trying to make yourself acceptable unto God, trying to be accepted by God into fellowship by your own goodness, your own works, it's not going to happen. If that were possible, then Christ has died in vain. We plead with you, we we hold you up before the Lord that His Spirit would convict you of such that you'd come unto His Savior or His Son that you cry out unto God that he'd be merciful to you. While we stand as the song leader comes.